Welcome to The Last Detail, a thoroughly considered side quest. In this show, we chat with a distinguished guest about a single object that is meaningful to them. We dive deep into that object, discussing the design, the manufacturing process, the good, the bad, and everything in between. After all, good design is thorough, down to the last detail. Today's guest is Stefan Ango, the co-founder of Lumi, and now at Obsidian, software for note-taking and thought processing. His object is the Herio V60. Well, welcome. Uh, let's see, how long have we known we We must have known you since 2012? When did right? you, when, I think it must have been earlier because, yeah. um, when was the glyph? 2010, 2009. Yeah. So I, I definitely, our first Kickstarter campaign back in the day for the original, original Lumi Inkodai stuff was 2009, December, 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I think that I just, there was just so few people doing physical goods yeah. and interesting yeah. like products on Kickstarter at the time that. But I, I do think that we didn't meet in person until like a year or two later at yeah. like an yeah. XOXO, XOXO or something. Yeah. Probably an XOXO, yeah. That's what I remember, but I could be wrong. But I, I bet we did somehow either talk or cross paths before that. Yeah, and I'm sure we referenced your project when we were putting our Kickstarter project together. It's like, how oh, I do remember. we do yeah. this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It was so, in retrospect, that. it was so bad. We, I remember we got a lot of press um, at the time just because Kickstarter was new. So we were still kind of riding that original mm-hmm. wave of like, mm-hmm. some people on the internet are asking people to give them money. We don't really know what to call it yet, but some people are ca- calling it crowdfunding. Someone yeah. sent some postcards from their, you know, trip abroad, and yeah. some people are making these wallets on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we got in the BBC and all these different things just kind of randomly off of yeah. that. Um, and now yeah. things are so polished and professional. It's it's a whole different game. I you guys are still in it. I haven't done a Kickstarter campaign in more than 10 years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're coming up on number 13, actually, in a few wow. weeks, probably. Holy <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's changed so, so, so much. And it, it feels like I, we were, I was just looking at, someone was posting, uh, you, might have, you might have seen it, or you guys both might have seen it, where it was like, the CW and T, the CW and T pin, and someone was posing, oh, hey, this looks like very similar. And then Sayway of CWD was like, no, here, look, here's like 10 more that are almost <laughs> identical. And it feels so um, like Amazon white label. Mm. You know, everything feels like it's just crazy. I was actually looking at backpacking gear. I'm like, have this mission to go on a backpacking trip with my kids this summer. And you know, it used to be, oh, you'd go on REI and it's like, oh, here's this expensive, like, here are the options. Like, here's a $300 backpacking backpack. And now you go on Amazon and it's like white label mm. everything. And it's like probably pretty decent. And it's like a fifth of the cost. And it's just like, I feel like Kickstarter has become that too, where mm. it, it's like completely almost feels impossible unless you're very savvy to, to differentiate right. between like, an authentic someone using Kickstarter and, and like the 
an authentic way and then one that's just like using it as this marketing channel because it's just it's so blurred uh so it's very sad yeah but i just feel like i i'm on there mostly just backing pens every time (laughs) every every, all of my friends are just making pens and, and mechanical pencils and things so i've got i'm looking at a mug full of pens that my friends designed <laughs> nice yeah it's uh, uh pretty good well stefan thanks for coming on <laughs> let's talk about uh what you want to talk about what did you uh what is your object that you chose well i want to say first of all i've been waiting to be on this podcast for my entire life like <laughs> spiritually you know what i mean like yeah. also I think you guys have been on like three different of my podcasts, so mm-hmm. I feel it's been long overdue. Yeah. Um, but but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I went to to school for industrial design, practiced industrial design kind of briefly, um, but uh, got more into software um, later on, and so I felt so much pressure on what product I should pick. Like, <laughs> I feel like there's just like generations of art school like uh i was like should i be like you know like something from charles eames or like a fukusawa design or like arna jacobson like i feel like I, there's yeah. that kind of like thing on the on the back of my head where i, I feel like i need to like the art snob in me needs yeah, to come yeah. out but or i just his, pick, or history or history or something yeah yeah like, and the, like what I, is I, it what does it say about you like the object that you pick <laughs> like i i totally get it <laughs> Yeah, so so I felt like I and I know a lot about all of that, you know, kind of the the design history. But then I just kept coming back to what are the things that I use every single day that I really can't imagine not using. And and for me, one of those things is coffee. And the Hario V60 is the one that uh, the coffee maker that I use every day. I've got. I actually have a collection of coffee makers. It's the only thing that I collect in in any kind of capacity as far as physical uh, objects are concerned. But I keep coming back to the V60, um, which is, to me, just one of the most timeless designs. Uh, Even though, as I was doing research for this podcast, I realized it's only been in existence since 2004. Yeah, Uh, I saw that too. That really surprised me, yeah. So why you mentioned that you have a whole uh, litany of coffee makers and coffee apparatuses? Why do you keep coming back to the V60? Like, what about it uh, suits you or your way of making coffee, or what do you like about it? Um, well, I, I should mention that one of the criteria for my coffee collection is that I only have mechanical methods of making coffee. None of mm-hmm. them have any kind of electrical. Uh, anything no motors no motors yeah that's that's a factor i'm just fascinated with how many ways you can <laughs> take water and beans and like make something that's drinkable and i think part of it is there's just like nerdy people like us and engineers and designers just kind of enjoy that creative space and so um you know i've got like uh the siphon style that produces a vacuum that pulls the coffee through like that's just totally unnecessary (laughs) i mean they're they're just really fun um as kind of a design space but the v60 i think the reason i keep coming back to it is honestly the number one reason is how easy it is to clean between uh you know when Mm -hmm. you're making it like Mm -hmm. because the whole thing is contained in this paper filter 
all you have to do is, you know, put the beans, the, the, the grounds in there, do the pour over and then remove that. And it's, it's very low maintenance. For a long time, I used a mocha pot uh, before I, I switched to the V60. And I really like the mocha pot because it makes a slightly stronger coffee. Kind of, you can get kind of like an Americano type of flavor mm. out of it. But it's just much more of a hassle to clean, in my opinion. Um, and then, and so there's like that convenience factor. And there's also just the ritual aspect of um, that moment in the morning when I'm doing the pour over. I'm oftentimes just kind of thinking about the day or listening to a podcast or something like that. And it's just a kind of a serene moment that I feel like grounds me and gets me ready for the day. So let's let's just for a moment step back and describe this thing. So yeah. it's kind of if 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 we said pour over coffee or mm. thing that sits on top of a mug, mm. everyone can almost imagine what this the silhouette of this object looks like. That's how iconic it is. It's like mm-hmm. a sixty degree funnel that sits on top of a mug that you pour that you put a filter in and you put coffee grounds in and you pour water on top. Right, that's it. Right, that's mm-hmm. like the the sketch so of the simple. product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the the really interesting thing about it and the the fact that it somehow feels timeless, but yet it's not that old is to me really interesting. And when I was, when you said you were going to do this object and I was looking around at it, the thing I noticed is it's, it sits in this really weird place because I know you to be a person that is like really cares about like objects and are, you're very thoughtful. <laughs> and the, the, it's like, this thing costs like $25. Right. And it's, re, it's really interesting that this object that is made for being like persnickety, the whole point of you buying this thing is because you want to be like persnickety about your coffee. Mm-hmm. You want to do this like laborious thing. Mm-hmm. And yet it's oh, 25 I, bucks. And I, so, push, I push back on that a little bit. Yeah, we can get into that. But I just, yeah. anyways, I just just to, to sketch what this thing is, it's like a ceramic twenty-five-ish dollar thing that sits on top of a coffee mug. And that's what and, this and is. they've that's they've got um, models in a few different materials. There's like a plastic mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. The one that I have is made out of glass and has like a nice kind of olive wood trim, and it sits on top of like a little carafe. Um, mm-hmm. So it's they've got different sizes. I think the other kind of um, distinctive thing about it is the pattern inside of the cone has this kind of spiral shape and as I was doing research and I was like wow this has only been around since 2004 there's a couple obvious uh, pieces of prior art and one of (laughs) them is the Melita um, which I I don't know if you know that one it's got a little bit of a different not perfectly conical shape but is also a a cone and this was invented by a person named Melita Melita Benz (laughs) Um, she's a German entrepreneur who invented the paper filter. So she invented uh, the paper filter in eight, uh, in 1908. Um, and so she also kind of came up with a very similar device uh, to the V60, which is very popular in Europe, um, but has a slightly different shape and slightly different filters. And then there's the Chemex, um, mm-hmm. you know, which I think a lot of people know, which was invented in 1941. Uh, by also a German uh, engineer called Peter Schlumbaum. And and so those two, I actually, I think the Chemex was probably the first coffee maker of this style that, that I used. And we used it a lot 
um, at the old Lumi office. We had a big one. Um, but I, one thing that's a little different about the Chemex is it doesn't have ridges on the inside. So the paper filter, the, the filter mm, paper mm-hmm. kind of gets stuck to the edges mm-hmm. and I don't mm-hmm. like it quite as much. Um, and it's also one piece of glass for both the top and bottom. So it's a little less flexible in how you yeah. can use it. Um, but I think that the kind of spiraling, I don't know what you would call them, grooves that um, I trust that the that the Japanese engineers like figured out the best way for the water to <laughs> flow really around. Really thought about and, this. <laughs> yeah, and get the, yeah. I don't, I'm not exactly sure what's happening there. I think someone could explain it better than I can, but I think it's some somehow about channeling the water so that it um, kind of distributes um, around the grounds more evenly somehow. Yeah, so, I think that's so, pretty distinctive. To me, that is what is so interesting. The mm. interesting one of the interesting things about this object. If you look on Amazon and you type like pour over coffee maker, there's like hundreds of things, right? And there's all kinds. It seems like the differentiating like factor, like thing with this is like the precise 60 degree angle and the mm. and the kind of grooves on the inside. And it's like these tiny little details that aren't visual but they're literally like a function of like how the coffee is brewed it's like a very functional detailed kind of nerdy thing to be having like a preference for the hario v60 versus a different one because you like the way the filter sticks or doesn't stick or what it does for the kind of coffee you want to make anyway it's just it's like details all the way down these like little tiny can we establish something do you uh, so i want to hear dan's opinion on this in a second but because i know that dan also uses a v60 what do you do you have coffee in the morning or what do you what do you do yeah so i am i am almost the opposite where i would i am like a uh, super automatic espresso coffee person so like we have like a nice super automatic coffee maker but it makes i just drink americanos right out of this now it does like grind the beans and like it's a nice version of it in the past i've done like the the um the aeropress and like the whole and i have like a fancy burr grinder and stuff and so i i'm familiar with the world but i'm definitely more in the the like on the spectrum of just like let me get this caffeine in my body that tastes Mm. pretty good it's not like a ritual to me and so I have a lot of sense. friends who do the Nespresso or K-Cup or whatever. I, I just, for me, I just have a, I have to rebel against that. I just don't <laughs> agree with it in any way. Even though it actually, whenever I have one, it, I'm like, hey, this is not that bad tasting. Yeah. Um, it, it surprises me every time I have one that it, it doesn't taste as bad as I remember. Um, Dan, what were you going to say? Because I want to hear what you, you were pushing back on on Tom's. Yeah, so well, I'll give a brief uh, history and overview as well. So I started drinking coffee basically the day my first son was born, uh, like six <laughs> years ago. Uh, and so oh, wow. when I started, I kind of... Uh, I knew what I was getting into. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm probably going to become a coffee drinker now. So I established early on, I wanted to be drinking black coffee. Like I didn't, I've already, if I'm already introducing the vice, if you want to call it of caffeine, like mm. I don't need more sugar in the morning or, um, I don't really need the dairy either. And so it was like, okay. And then it becomes a, a set of choices then where it's like, okay, if I'm going to do black coffee, I should probably try to get you know, start off with high quality coffee and i was originally doing uh aeropress i did that for a few years um 
and it was good. I enjoyed it, but what I, and I was mostly, yeah. So what, what I didn't like about it was it felt kind of like pour over where you, you put it on top of your mug and then the coffee starts filtering through before you plunge it. It kind of like half filters through and then you plunge the rest. And I, for some reason, I just found that really unsatisfying. And so I started doing like the inverted method just to, uh, to, to avoid that. So I could plunge like the entirety. I don't know if this matters can at I all. Just, can I just say, <laughs> I hate the AeroPress. Yeah. I feel like this is a controversial <laughs> statement for yeah. some reason, but I just do not like it at all as a device. I hate yeah. the way it looks. I hate the way it feels <laughs> in my hand. It's so plasticky. It's, yeah. it's really fiddly. It, yeah. The plunger is like... I don't know. It feels weird. I always f- am worried that I'm going to press too hard and then the yeah. mug's going to fly off. Yeah. Like, yeah I yeah. just, I wish they made like a nice, like glass one or something. I don't yeah. know. Maybe that mm-hmm. would be even scarier to use yeah. somehow. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I don't like it. Yeah. So I, so I was basically after a few years of AeroPress, I was like, let me search for something else. And the criteria basically was, I wasn't searching for, oh, I need something that tastes better than the AeroPress. Mm. It was, I want something that's easier to do and has easier cleanup, as you mentioned earlier. So I kind of landed on the V60. And even though the V60 seems to be the choice of the kind of fussiest of fussy coffee connoisseurs, and, you know, they have like the world championship, you know, brewing contests or whatever. And they're all using V60s for the most part. I chose it because it's super easy and uh, and really easy to clean. And you can I, I think if you're technically if you're really kind of doing it right, you're supposed to kind of time in between your pours. But what mm-hmm. I like about it, unlike the AeroPress, is you it's pour over you just pour the water it's pretty, on it and it's you pretty can, hard to get it wrong right yeah. you can just walk away and if you're like oh shoot i forgot about my coffee like it's not getting over brewed because the water's just poured through it and it's just been sitting there um so i find it to be one of those beautiful uh venn diagrams where it's like to me it's the easiest thing to do and also nets the best coffee one little anecdote that that you might find funny um one of your previous guests, uh, Adam Lissagor. Do you remember him doing an AeroPress video? Do you know what oh, I'm yeah. talking about? Oh, yeah. He made like an AeroPress spec. So at that yeah. time, I think this was probably like 2012, 11, somewhere around that time. Him and I shared an office for like four or five years um, in downtown LA. And um, he had just gotten this new camera. And so he wanted to play around with it. And that was why he made uh, that AeroPress video. (laughs) And um, in the office, I was a Mocha person at the time. And then JP, who is his kind of Mm -hmm. uh, co-founder in in Sandwich, um, was uh, the V60 guy. And so we, I I don't think JP ever made a video, but we were each going to make a video of our preferred (laughs) coffee maker. And so I made one for the Mocha pot that never got, I never published it because it was like so much worse than Adams but um <laughs> at that time in the arts district there were all of these like um coffee shops that were just like kind of the high-end roasteries that were popping up there was like Stumptown opened up um Handsome Coffee which ended up becoming um 
uh, Blue Bottle acquired them at the same time they acquired Tonks. There's another mm. place called Go Get 'em Tiger that opened up a, a few years later. So we were just kind of at the center of like all of this like competing gourmet beans be- being available mm-hmm. all around us. And so I think that's when I really uh, started to appreciate coffee more, which, you know, that was probably a little bit over 10 years ago. And JP was the person, JP Bowles, who's directed many videos for, mm-hmm. for Sandwich, was the person who really got me onto the V60 and I started to appreciate it more. And I totally agree. I, I, there's so many times where um, I I drift between like the really perfectionist way of doing it and like a terrible version where I'm just like, for, I forgot that I poured only like half the water mm-hmm. and then I come back to it and like, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh crap! I forgot. And <laughs> it, it honestly, I can barely tell the difference. It's it's very forgiving as a method. Yeah, and I think in general, I mean, my I'm not. I don't feel like I have a. I'm not a coffee connoisseur, and I you know I try to get good beans and you know make a good cup, but I, I feel like I'm by no means an expert. But my impression is that the coffee beans are doing 90 to yes. 95% of the legwork sure. in terms of how good your coffee is. And we can fuss and quibble about all these brewing methods, but you're kind of splitting hairs at a certain point where uh, you are you are at the end of the day pouring hot water over ground up beans. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's so I so it's like once I found the one that was, uh, you know, easy to do and easy cleanup, it was like, OK, I'm good. This is I don't need to like fuss about this anymore. Yeah, so to me, <clears throat> that kind of gets at the crux at what I think is the most interesting kind of uh, aspect to these kind of objects, um, which is, like, when do you know how far to go down a rabbit hole? Like, when do you stop? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you can be endlessly fuzzy with, fussy with coffee, right? I have like a limit. Can... So, yeah, but like... how do you know, like, how how do you guys... Because we all know, we've all been down this road of like fancy cocktails, fancy sushi. Like you can yeah. keep going for forever. But what? where do you stop? How do you figure that out? Or like, how does that live in your life? And anyways, I, I was curious. I'm curious about that aspect to, mm-hmm. to this. Mm-hmm. Because this object is definitely like, it feels like one of the standard items at the beginning of your journey. And it's mm-hmm. like, do, do you stop at the $25 one? Or or you, do you keep fussing about it and end up with like a three hundred dollar one that must exist somewhere in the world, right? It's like like how do you know? Where do well, you stop? Well, no, and this is this comes back to um, you know I I wanted to become an industrial designer uh, at at some point, um, which didn't really end up going that far in in that path. Although um, I did design a few things that that I think are still in production, but the um, my fascination with industrial design was always about not making like a famous chair that everybody knows about, like the, like an Eames lounge chair or something like that, but like a doorknob, something that Mm -hmm. you use every single day and you Mm -hmm. never pay attention to it Mm -hmm. or, you know, a fork or something like I was really fascinated with products that nobody really wants to talk about (laughs) in a, Mm -hmm. in a sense that are just kind of like ergonomic and part of your life in a way that disappears. And I think you, you, you two have worked a lot on those types of products, Mm -hmm. um, over the years, as opposed to something that's meant to be part of like some fancy collection. And Mm -hmm. so when I look for objects, um, that I want to surround myself with, 
I'm very minimalistic. Like I have very few, there's just very few things. And I, I try to have uh, very few things in general. Um, and so when I was thinking about this uh, podcast, another item that I really like is the um, leaf shave razor, which is another mm-hmm. item that I really appreciate is like, there was this exercise that was going around the web a few a few years back about what if you could only own a hundred things, what would those things be? Mm-hmm. And I think I'd have to have a coffee maker and I'd have to have <laughs> something to shave with. And what are the things where uh, I like the fact that it's low cost. I like the fact that it doesn't really require anything fancy to 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 make coffee or or same with the shaver it just uses these it doesn't use like plastic cartridges it just uses these double-edged razor blades blades that Mm -hmm. you snap so Mm. that's kind of the way i look at it i don't really want all of my coffee makers in my collection costs you know are pretty cheap because Mm -hmm. they all have to do with these like mechanical ways of making coffee where i think things get like a little too sophisticated for me like i'm not out here you know roasting my own beans or something like that Mm -hmm. because and i'm lucky because there's so many great coffee spots that do roast their own beans uh kind of in my area so i feel i feel lucky about that um but i think there is this kind of happy medium where you find some sort of product or device that can really fit inside in, in your life in a way that i could imagine myself using the v60 literally for 100 years without having to Mm -hmm. change anything about my routine and it's something that i i use every single day yeah no uh, tom i mean i think the it's a really good question about kind of the rabbit hole and when do you stop and the way i always think about it is as long as i kind of have eyes wide open about what is actually happening here then it's uh you basically just stop when it's not fun anymore or you're not mm. deriving any enjoyment from it so like uh the first example i thought of is uh like vinyl record collecting and i have approached that with a self-awareness that it's like mm. this is silly like i understand <laughs> that you're scraping a needle against a piece of vinyl like that just listen to mp3 is like what are you doing um but it's i like collecting things like that's part of my personality it's really fun i like owning the music it's there's fun to look at and put on a shelf i like the big artwork and so that is kind of how I approach it. And then there's sometimes I've, I've kind of, Oh, should I upgrade my turntable or should I get, you know, a fancy tone arm or should I do this and that? And then it's like, you know, I think that is going too far. Like now it's not really fun anymore. Now it's become this commitment where I have to, you know, uh, make my system super sophisticated or whatever. So I'm going to pull back. So I think it's like the self-awareness for these things is, I think is the, the key component. And I think I actually think this is where you and me differ, Dan, because I, uh, to me, the the vinyl world, like some of that seems like an infinite rabbit hole that can never end because there's so much. I love music, but I'm mm-hmm. like, if I go down that path, I'm going to end up with a crazy collection of like <laughs> vinyl records, speakers, yeah. Here's your, yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's and it's um, it kind of goes against my personal philosophy i'm not trying to kind of advocate this for the world but just of having kind of a lighter mm-hmm. footprint that i yeah. can move around and have 
relatively few things that I own. But like once you go down the vinyl path and you're owning lots of records, I don't know where that ends. That's a slippery slope. For yeah, me, it's like least. what is what is the most cumbersome way to own music? Vinyl <laughs> like, yeah. oh, records <laughs> is the answer. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I well, think cassettes are maybe a little bit more cumbersome. But yeah, no. maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But here's the thing. I don't. I don't know if the word is cumbersome, and this goes straight back to this pour over coffee thing. I think mm. ritual is so much a part, mm-hmm. or you could you could say like, you know, use or whatever, or like user experience or ritual, same thing. But like, mm-hmm. you could say that about both pursuits, right? It's like yeah. the record thing is a very different user experience and interaction with the music, and same with this pour over coffee. You're mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. When you're doing pour over coffee, you are like very much involved in the process. And you know, if you have a grinder and a thing to set to heat up water to a specific temperature and this pour over like Chemex thing, or not Chemex thing, but like V60 thing, you have all the variables you need to be fussy if you want or not. And so you can be really involved. And so I think there's something there about these objects where they like, they're tools that enable you to be involved in the experience as, as much as you want. You know, you can kind of choose. And just like you guys were saying with the pour over, you can be, you can have a day where you want to be like, really do it right, really pay attention, be present, be right there. Or the tool is forgiving enough to where you can like wander off and it still gets you like 90% of the way there or whatever. And so well, I'm just saying those, that somehow the objects that kind of enable that flexibility and fussiness are really interesting to me. And, and I feel mm-hmm, like this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this pour over cut, like the, the V60 seems to do that quite you're well. Getting, you're getting at something really important for me, which is um, there's kind of two aspects to it, but repeat experiences and routine are a form of time travel and a form of teleportation. So mm-hmm. I have, um, <laughs> something that I uh, I'll, I'll show to the the camera, but nobody can hear. <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a Snow Peak. Um, it's not a V sixty. It's a flat. Um, it doesn't have the the fancy grooves, but it uses the same V sixty filter, mm-hmm. and so it's a it basically a collapsible version of a V sixty. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget the exact name of it, but if you look up like Snow Peak coffee drip dripper, um, and I have a hand grinder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so recently I've been traveling a little bit more and I have been taking this kind of little setup with me. It's very portable. I, and so I can make my same coffee that I drink every day pretty much anywhere that I can get hot water. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that for me somehow allows me to anchor myself in my day in a way that wherever I am in the world, I can kind of get in my mindset um in a good way and mm. funny enough there's like a, another product like that 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 i discovered kind of late i suppose but it's um sleeping masks like i started s- sleeping with a sleeping mask like a couple of years ago because i moved to this new place where i couldn't really get like complete darkness at night mm-hmm. and so that that's kind of like the the nighttime ritual version of mm-hmm. it is like I can sleep anywhere. I can sleep on a plane. I can sleep in a place I've never been to. And I can wake up in a place that I've never been to and kind of create an experience that feels like home and puts me in the right mindset for the day. Mm. That's a kind of a form of of teleportation in a way. The time travel thing is 
I, I, I find this a lot with food and drinks and, and coffee can be a form of that where for me eating or drinking something that I've had before allows me to like put myself back in a different place in my mind. Um, the people that I was with at a certain time, just kind of like really fond memories that I might have or um, of a specific place that I was when I had something for the first time. Mm. And, and I think that's something that only those devices that I use really regularly can give me that, that feeling because it's connected to my routine. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. Uh, I mean, for me, it's music. Uh, like music mm-hmm. to me is the ultimate time travel, uh, time machine. Like I, you know, a new album will come out from, a from a band I like, and I'll kind of just like listen to it endlessly for, you know, a month or two. And then I've like placed a, a stake in the ground for that time period where now anytime I, uh, you know, I listen to it in the future, I'm, I'm transported mm. back to that time. And yeah, it works kind of exactly the same way that you're describing. I heard this thing. I don't know what the science behind it is, but that basically your brain is really good at compressing time when routine starts to set in. So, you know, if you take the bus to work every day or if you, you know, if you do a certain thing for a certain amount of time, then your brain starts to sort of compress that down to one experience or one Mm -hmm. phase of your life. Mm. And that allows you to basically have control over how slowly or quickly time passes by. Like if you go you know, travel to a new city on vacation and you're doing different things every single day, it feels like time is moving slower because you can fill a day with so many more things. But I actually kind of like having these kind of routine moments where time passes in a different way and allows me to kind of, I want to spend, especially in the morning, uh, four to six hours just like working really hard on creative projects. And so the more I can remove any kind of decisions and the more I can Mm -hmm, sort of like mm -hmm. ritualistically get into that flow, maybe it's, I'm not a very superstitious person, but it's, it's like a kind of a little bit of creating the environment for my mind to go into a creative place. And the the Mm -hmm. fewer decisions I have to make and the more I can create this just kind of pattern that lasts, you know, 15 minutes or whatever in the morning, the more I can get to that creative place um, quicker and more reliably. Yeah. Yeah. It's a ritual. I mean, it just is. And we all know like it's rituals are important, right? I mean, it's like a, it's like a truism of humans somehow. It's like that Mm -hmm. is, and maybe it has to do with that thing you're talking about of like compressing or setting up your brain for like, an on-ramp to something. But Mm -hmm. I think these rituals are really important. I, I often, I, it's fine. I always sit in this weird space where I really love objects and connected to objects, but I often get in this very like functional space where I'm just wanting to like, just move on to the next and Mm. don't ever slow down. And so Mm -hmm. for me, I often, although I really connect to objects and care about them and like ritual, I often will just like short circuit it because I just Mm -hmm. want the absolute like most expedient thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so for me, often the thing that gets me into ritual is like a rule set. And often what that involves is like some object. So I might do a thing where it's like, I'm going to do a pour over coffee 
<laughs> I'm just going to like force myself with this like set of tools just so that I have to slow down or whatever. Like to me, that is mm-hmm. the way that I can hack my mind into kind of slowing down and daydreaming because I just like don't do that on like on purpose. And so I, that's to me, like that's the real power of these kind of like tool design object things where they're not just about expediency or efficiency. They're like, they're about this kind of like, it's like this, this kind of choice space or this like ritual space. And so it's, it's interesting, but the the thing that I want out of this, like if I were to look at this V, if I was to really going, going into this and wanting to start doing pour over coffee, where my mind immediately goes is, I would like a version of that V60 that has more story. Like mm-hmm. either the materials are different such that I could say to myself, I will have this for forever. Or I really love this object because of the way it feels or the way it looks. And I know they make different ones, but it for me, it kind of sits in this odd place where it's like, it's about the detail Mm. like the the differentiator for that object is like oh look it's got the groove oh look it's got this it's like it's about the detail but it's also like kind of not about the detail like they don't seem to really really care check out the one the one that i have is the olive wood uh cario uh set um and it has like a 600 milliliter carafe and um a nice olive wood top i honestly feel like I could own this mm. thing for the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. I feel like I have a relationship with this particular one. One. Yeah. That it, that I'm like, you know, married to it. Like it's like it's mm-hmm. uh <laughs> I mean, maybe something will change at some point in my life, um, where I'm like, I want to change coffee makers or something, but mm-hmm. uh it, it is special in that way to me. How mm-hmm. do you I have a quick this thing does not have a handle. So how what is the user experience like? Like where do you just pick it up, right? Yeah, it is you, it is a handle. What do you mean? Like you pick it up by the wood disc. It doesn't have like a looped teacup style handle, or does it? It sits on top of a carafe that has a handle. Oh, so the carafe is part of it. It's a two part, um let's see. Let me let me find the exact model. I think um, they sell both. I think they sell a carafe thing and yeah, then just it by itself. I see. I'm looking at just the dri- like just the uh the dripper thing. Yeah. So there's the there's the dripper and then there's the V60 olive wood carafe. Oh, that's a nice looking uh, little thing with the wood handle. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that that the carafe, you know, in actually I I should say I think the carafe is a big part of my um I don't often do it on top of a mug because for me um I like the kind of two, two cup or six hundred milliliter kind of like mm. the bigger size. Um, yeah, I, because <laughs> I need more coffee than that. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> big boy. Yeah. So yeah, I actually I was gonna ask you like what your your kind of vessel of choice is because for me that was an important parameter is I wanted to brew directly into a mug so that I it would be one less thing to rinse out or clean out or whatever. So mm-hmm. I just do a single cup at a time mm-hmm. directly into mm-hmm. the into the Yeti insulated mug that I'm using. Okay, yeah. So you're to, you're totally bearing the lead on this object cuz when you so I thought you were talking about the like ceramic, you know, but the the fact that this the the fact that it has like a carafe that seems to pair with it and it's glass and all this stuff it completely changes the object in the ways that I'm that I was talking about 
You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's really interesting that I wonder. So it was really puzzling to me that like they, that Hario makes this like $25 ceramic mm-hmm. thing. But it's obvious when they you visit their site that they're trying to be like, hey, look, you can be really fancy with coffee. Like, hey, look, did you know that you can really care about coffee? Mm-hmm. But yet it's like this $25 thing. But it feels like a really great on-ramp into something like this, like what you have where it's like, okay, you've decided you like this. Well, here's an object that yeah. it feels like it, it could really be with you for a while and probably get some patina and just like has a life. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, it, it has... the. the well, the thing that's nice about the V60 is I think it has become enough of a cultural kind of object that, you know, you stay at a an Airbnb sometimes and it just mm-hmm. like they have one around and it and it is oftentimes like the plastic indestructible version of that thing. Or maybe they have mm-hmm. a ceramic one. And so I know that the shape of it and how it works is going to be reliable for me. Like I know how yeah. to make coffee with that thing. But then when I'm at home, I have the site, yeah, the slightly more upgraded version of it that is an object that I can hold on to that has that kind of like wabi sabi, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, kind of <laughs> character to it that I'm gonna hang on to for a long time. Yeah, and just looking at this more specific olive wood one more, it's actually pretty cool the way that it's just this glass funnel. But yet, then it has this cool, like, rubber diaphragm thing that goes over the end mm-hmm. of the glass thing and the wood. Like, that's a f- elegant, feels like a nice thing. They to, made some nice choices. Yeah, there's like, yeah. and on the craft side, there's like the stainless steel accents. Like, there's a lot yeah. of details there. Kind of the general shape of the craft is kind of an upside down mirror of the, the yeah. cool shape. I mean, this thing looks really nice to me, but I guess to push back, it's like, it's like you got a glass thing and now you have wood and now you have a rubber gasket. It's like, isn't it so much more pure and simple to just have like a single ceramic object? Yeah, but does you that know, spark like, joy in your life at all, Dan? I mean, like, really? Uh, it's like bargain basement. It doesn't like, feel that way. Roto mold ceramic object. I, I like mm. that. No, honestly, I do like the ceramic one too. I, but mm-hmm. I think that's the beauty of the, the V60 world. You don't have to make a choice on that. You can have... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the plastic one, like if I was like camping all the time or something, I would definitely have the plastic one. And and mm-hmm. it just kind of has these different um, characteristics. The thing that matters is like the geometry of the object at the end of the day. Yeah, the 60, ma- right? It's yeah. the 60. Yeah. It's the 60. It's all about the 60. <laughs> it's all, about, it's all 60. about the... I don't know what they're doing with those grooves. Just trust the grooves. It's all geometry. <laughs> Which is which is a beautiful which is like a beautiful um, thing to just be able to hang their hat on, you know. Like it is a really nice. It, it would feel very satisfying to be that company and just be <laughs> like, "Look, we got this figured out. We, the core is the same, and let's just like, you know, make different instantiations of this." And there's no reason there. why this. I mean, unless you know coffee disappears from the face of the earth there's no reason why you can't we could you can imagine this existing 200 years in the future or 200 years in the past like it's Mm -hmm. a it's a thing that and that that goes back to what i was saying earlier what are the thing the objects that i really care about that i think about uh are the things that i use every day what am i what do i see myself doing 40 years from now probably still drinking coffee like Mm -hmm. sitting on a chair working at a desk 
going to sleep, shaving, like those mm-hmm. things that you have to do on a daily basis to feed yourself to, you know, uh, the, the hygiene, the, kind of those like things that are necessary daily rituals. To me, that's just my favorite design space and also my favorite space to find those kind of objects that I want to live with for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it took us a lot. It's funny, we, you know, we went as like a company, a Studio Neat. We went through this transition, and I don't know if we've actually talked about this stuff. Where at mm. first, all the objects we were making were like, we need to make something that's like clever or new or like not been done before, right? It was like mm. the glyph or like this ice making or like all these different kind of inventions, kind of like inventions of use cases, um. But, you know, we've recently been doing this stuff where it's like, you know, kind of what the classic designer thing to do, which is like, I'm going to make a pin, I'm going to make a chair or, you know, whatever. And Mm -hmm. it's been interesting going, like starting on that path of like us feeling okay, and that we have something to contribute to the space of like a pin, like we actually do. There's actually room there to have some different opinionated design about what a pin should be. Mm -hmm. Um, well, and, and I, I want to say something about that yeah. um, because one of the things that links like pens and coffee makers like the V60 and like the shaving um, razor that I mentioned earlier is like the disposable aspect. Uh-huh. Like it's mm-hmm. like a wrapper around something disposable. In the mm-hmm. case of mm-hmm. the V60, it's a filter. The cartridge that you choose or like the lead that you choose, mm-hmm. I think that actually that's the thing that's so important like the v60 filter is almost more important than the yeah. v60 yeah. Mm. itself but then how do you like wrap that disposable thing first of all can you pick the disposable thing that is going to be the one that lasts for 100 years like yeah and then can you wrap it with a product that that someone can really develop a relationship with for a long time yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it's like it's tricky. Like, for instance, we've played with the idea of, like, making a watch, mm. right? And it's a very different thing than what you you just said, but it still relies on that similar thing of, like, we have to get, we would have to get the guts, like, the guts would have to take care of themselves, or we'd have to mm. find a way to get really good guts to wrap mm. around, right? And uh, it it is that game of, like, being comfortable making something that could be quote unquote timeless or that you could sell for like 30 years or something is is kind of a head trip as a designer or at least for us or at least for me it was kind of like it took a while for us to i guess get up get up maybe his confidence of like okay no we could do this like we we have the like we have the arrogance or whatever to like make a pin i don't know it, there's just something about that that i think is um, interesting and it feels really good as a designer to to be on both sides like we've been on both sides of it where it's like oh we're gonna make a glyph that is responding to this technological object that will be gone in two years right or mm-hmm. we're making this like pin that you know theoretically could be sold for 30 years and it's just a very different feeling after you've designed it to like to sit with it Anyway, it's, it's probably kind of rambly, but no, no, I think it's important because, and I know earlier you were doing a lot more software than you do now, but it is one of my biggest frustrations with making software, which is that it's never finished. There's nothing like yeah. mm-hmm. you're just making something and 
the, you know, the technologies, the, the web changes, the OS changes, like all of these things are happening. And, and it's, so software is such an ephemeral art form, you know, it, it's never finished. And also you, it's very hard to even go back in the past and look at what that stuff was like even five years ago. Cause you mm-hmm. don't, you, you have to have like an old generation device. Mm-hmm. I mean, some, some software experiences will never be able to replicate. What was the algorithm of Facebook like 10 years ago? What did it feel yeah. like to, mm-hmm. to visit mm-hmm. those websites? Um, whereas when it comes to, uh, you know, physical products or, you know, creative, like things like movies or music, you can make something and then it can exist and people buy it or they don't, but you've like left behind something that is uh, kind of an artifact of your view of the world. And, and I, I oftentimes kind of think about that and wish that I could be spending more time <laughs> doing that kind of work. <laughs> Stefan, you had mentioned uh, offline, you had done a little research about the, uh, the history of the V6. Uh, did you end up finding... Who is I couldn't actually find credited? Who, no, I, I could not find who actually invented it. Um, yeah. And I don't know uh, why that is, but... Um, Probably just like a team, you know, and it's, so it's mm-hmm. like this. Well, Herio, the company has been around since like 1920. It's a Japanese company. They were really well known for their like glassware. And so if you, if you look at Herio's website, a ton of their products are... Um, like lab equipment, like they, they make a lot of like, you know, test tubes and vials and things like that mm, for, mm-hmm. for lab, um, type use. And so, uh, I don't really know exactly what the, the connection was to, to coffee and tea. They also have a lot of nice tea products. Um, but it seems like glass was actually kind of the, the path there. Um, I have a bunch of other Hario devices in, <laughs> in my collection. I have like a nice French press from them. I have some tea stuff from them. Mm. Um, but I don't know exactly who designed it. I wish I did. Yeah. Yeah, that was the, the 2004 uh, introduction of this product was the most s- surprising thing to come across in doing research where it's like, oh man, I feel like I could close my eyes and see this like in an episode of Mad Men or something. And it's like, uh-huh. no, this is, you know, well, it, not even That's why I was old. bringing up the, the Chemex and the Melita because the Melita you would have seen. I think the Melita mm-hmm. is, the, is the device that you would have seen in Mad Men mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. it, it has a very similar, but it has kind of a, like a flattened cone um, shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah oh yeah 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 it's like a pinched it's like a pinched cone at the bottom yeah right the bottom is like uh, yeah it's more like a line than like doesn't come mm-hmm. down to a point yeah yeah interesting yeah so, so that's what's so interesting is like what a subtle change like from from an a priori like pour mm. over thing that sits on a mug these objects seem so similar but from the perspective of what's actually happening chemically or like usability wise. These things are very different in terms of the way the coffee pours through. Like in this very detailed way, there's actually a huge difference between these two different ceramic cones that sits on mugs. And so well, I think, it's like very interesting. I think the timing was also important of that 2004. Um, just kind of, I'm not an expert on this, but coffee really went through a big change around that mm-hmm. time. Um, and I think people credit Starbucks and some of the other kind of like, big coffee chains in the 90s for for 
at least in the U.S. market, making a big shift to getting American consumers to think about coffee in a different way and getting them, you know, willing to pay a few bucks instead of just like the deli or like the the Mm -hmm. diner coffee, you know, that that's the cheap like Folgers stuff or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and around the early two thousands is when you had intelligentsia and stump down and blue bottle and all these different kind of like gourmet kind of mid to mid 2000, 2005 to 2010 was when they all popped up. And I don't know anything about this, like world championships of coffee or anything like that. But I think that kind of like interest in gourmet coffee came about right around that time. And so to have this device that popped up around the same time, I don't know, you know, what was the cause and effect there, but it seems like there was a relationship between those two things that they kind of synergistically grew in popularity together. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It does feel, um, it feels like that was a really long time ago, but it really wasn't <laughs> like 2004. I mean, it feels it, I, maybe it's just because of like our age and like when we were coming of age, but it, I, I do remember, it does feel like I remember the kind of fancy hipster coffee becoming a popular thing, but it also feels like that was when I was first kind of exposed to coffee in general. So it feels mm-hmm. kind of timeless to me, but mm-hmm. that totally tracks that. That, when, that really, when was, that was a term, new thing. When was the term foodie like became a thing? <laughs> yeah. It was around that time, right? Similar. Yeah. yeah. Because I, so I was born in France and lived there until I was 17. And so I moved to the U.S. in like 2003, I guess, and lived, um, you know, in Colorado for a while. And then when I moved to L.A. was like 2008 and in that kind of general time period is when I remember like food network shows becoming popular, like people getting an interest in, in food and, and beverages in, in American people asking me if I was a foodie and I was just like, I'm just French. Like I just, (laughs) (laughs) what are you guys talking about? Isn't everyone a foodie? (laughs) Um, And so I I think it was funny uh, at that time that it, now I don't know where we are in that kind of transition yeah culturally in America but it feels like it's completely permeated into a lot of my friends love you know food and drink and cooking and those types of things and I think these kinds of like nicer slightly upgraded devices or slightly more advanced like I mean cooking equipment is like probably an area that I just I love so much in in Mm -hmm. general as a as a category because I'm such a food nerd <laughs> yeah the uh the shop of the house that that is the what like our family calls it it's so funny like i buy endless amount of tools that live in a garage and my wife spend buys endless amount of tools that live in the kitchen and we just think mm. of the kitchen as like a workshop for food <laughs> and it's so funny like it's it's weird when we realize like oh we both really really like tools uh, yeah. and it's like dangerous because it's just always it's like always an excuse to buy a new tool it's like it's like oh it's like that's never a question whether we should buy a new tool <laughs> tom did you have any uh anything to say in terms of tom's manufacturing corner uh about not, the subject? not a lot i mean it's again it's like the thing i guess the thing the one thing i wanted to mention along those lines or along this product line, which 
I think is, is so challenging is, you know, it is, this is such an easy thing to copy and to like mm. white label. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obvious, uh, it just must be so difficult to offer, to have a product like this in like 2004 or whatever. And then to be in this world now where there could be like 100 copies of it on Amazon that are basically identical and like way cheaper. And I just wonder um, how a large company like this with the brand and everything deal like deals with that. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, that's why I'm just curious why they like if my intuition of like how to deal with that would be like, oh, go for more premium materials, go for more premium engineering, like, you know, try to find some differentiator that's like hard to copy blatantly, but it seems like they aren't exactly. And so it just, I just wonder, um, kind of like how that, how that, how that's going. Like, is this, are you familiar with the Lindy effect? Do you know what the Lindy effect is? I know that term. No, I I just, just look it up on Wikipedia, but Lindy effects is, is, uh, just an idea that states that the longer something has been around, the longer it's likely to continue to be around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, you know, especially for objects and things, it makes it doesn't make sense for like a piece of cheese that you have in your fridge, but it yeah. makes sense for, you know, uh, the pyramids have been around for thousands of years. So they'll probably still be around for a thousand, yeah. you know, thousands mm-hmm. of years. Whereas like the building that was just like built down the street from you is probably going to get torn down before the pyramids or, Mm -hmm. you know, books have been around much longer than cell phones. They probably will still be around longer than cell phones are. Mm -hmm. It's just a a heuristic for thinking about that. It doesn't always come true, but I think that Herio, my answer to this is Herio can wait this out a lot longer than whoever these copycats are. They've been, you know, doing, uh, glass and ceramic and stuff since the 1920s. One of my favorite things to look at on the internet is Wikipedia's list of oldest companies in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like literally companies that most of them are either Japanese or German, which is mm-hmm. funny. Because, mm-hmm. and, and they've been around, uh, you know, there's like soy sauce brand, like Kikoman's yeah. been around since like the 1300s or something <laughs> yeah. like that. And <laughs> so once you kind of, if you can create uh, these things, whether they're alcohol is a very popular category on the list of oldest companies. Um, mm. if, if you can create something that has a recipe, yeah, you can copy, you know, every German or Belgian beer or whatever that's been around for a thousand years, but are you going to have the stamina to keep doing it for the next hundred years? Yeah. I think that's really what, um, Hario like has managed to do. And because they also own the V60 name, and the V60 filter, they make the filter also. There's kind of this synergistic, you know, set of the brand, the the disposable aspect, and the device where I think that that has strength to keep sticking around. Because if you're someone who buys like a knockoff V60 or whatever, you're still probably buying the filters from um, Hario, you know? know Or you know you bought a knockoff. Or and you know that like on the knockoff page it says you know this is a v this is a V60 type brewer yeah. or something yeah. you know yeah. and so yeah. you you have like now learned the word V60 
and if you search for v60 this thing the first thing that's going to pop up is still going to be a hario device yeah and i think the other ace up their sleeve is they have the blessing of all of the nerds and all of the experts so it's like i think that's how a lot of people are finding out about it is this like you know fussy coffee nerd guy is like use a v60 and so you're just like okay that sounds good like i i uh this is somewhat embarrassing, but like I, when I was thinking I was going to move to pour over from the AeroPress, like I asked for like a V60. Um, and, uh, I got from a relative, like a, a pour over thing that was not a V60. It was like, it was more like the, uh, Melita where it was kind of like a, a compressed cone thing. And it was just like, I'm sure this is fine, but, Everyone's saying to use the V60, so I'm just going to get one. I'm just going to get one of those instead. Uh, and so I think that there's a real kind of trickle down where it's like once you have the foothold in, and once all the experts are like, "This is the one you want," then everything else just looks like a knockoff because it is a knockoff. Yeah, it's a. I don't know. It's just I. I do wonder how much of a fad this kind of like white label knockoff thing is, or if it's just like the beginning of like uh, like what the future will be and people will learn that knockoffs get you like 90% of the way there often and so it doesn't matter or if you know brand and um and like quality will be like or is a durable thing like I don't know I think it, it is an open question like what the future will hold in terms of like like products into the future like I don't know which way it's going I, I don't go. know. I, I was more concerned about that a few years ago than I am now. I think there's, I think knockoffs have been around since the beginning of any kind of thing. <laughs> any, since the beginning of anything that could be knocked off, people have been knocking them off. And so <laughs> I, I think that brand and I don't know what to call it, but durability in the market is, you know, is actually really important. I do think, you know, there are pe- people and companies that pop up and make a thing for a little while, but it's, it, if you know that you're knocking something off, it's really hard to have the stamina to keep it going. Like you're always yeah. looking for the next thing to knock off as a, because your business model is knocking things off as yeah. opposed to your business model is making a quality product for a, a really long time. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not as concerned about that. And also I think that, it seems really weird what kind of like geopolitical environment we're going into. Like, I think a lot of this really relied on like cheap manufacturing and it's hard to tell, like, especially over the past couple of years, if that's going to be around in the same way for a really long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think in some ways it will keep getting cheaper just with, you know, but in some ways not. So yeah, it's like a, it is a, I think it is an open question. Um, But I think the game has forever changed, though, where it used to be like Hario probably had a huge advantage by having access to distribution. Like they had a distribution advantage that a lot of mm-hmm. com- like brands wouldn't have. But that is all but gone now, right, with Amazon and all the stuff where it's like mm-hmm. that distribution advantage is melted away because someone can just pay for placement right next to Hario, right, on mm-hmm. Amazon or wherever. And so... So I think the market has fundamentally changed for forever in some ways, but I think this idea of stamina that you brought up is really interesting. Uh, and I guess if you have, 
either the like passion or the like deep enough entrenched pockets to like keep the stamina up then it'll like it seems like it could pay off but hario doesn't need to uh you know i mean maybe they maybe they do but they don't need to advertise their own product because it is the v60 and so when you're thinking about like i'm a i'm a competitor i want to make a knockoff v60 now i have to position my product you know 20 to 30 percent cheaper and also pay more for advertising yeah like, it's mm-hmm. just not a very good business and whereas mm-hmm. Herio can live on its brand the fact that um you know these nerds are recommending it and that they're still going to rank highly whenever you search for their their actual trademark name mm-hmm. yeah so I think their margins are just going to always be better than all of the copycats. And that's where the stamina comes from. Yeah. Yeah. We should move to uh, Dieter's design corner. But mm. uh, first, I wanted to just quickly point out, I was looking up uh, the ceramic version of the V60 on Amazon. 9,951 <laughs> reviews, four point four point eight star average yeah, it's nice. probably the highest average for that many reviews i've seen i've ever seen on amazon yeah. i thought you were gonna say nine thousand products showed up oh no <laughs> <laughs> nine thousand copycats yeah. uh okay let's uh we're calling it Dieter's Design Corner. Is that the name now? We we really struggle with having a Is there a jingle name. for it? <laughs> no, there's not. <laughs> not currently. Um, so I probably, I don't need to explain how this works. We all know what's going on here. Uh, Stefan, do you want to go first? What uh, You can also uh, criticize the segment and uh, Dieter's principles in general if you'd like to. <laughs> the floor is yours. Well, when I was a, a design student, I... I like wrote a whole critique of design the the ten rules because there was a few that I disagreed with the wording on, but then mm. I never I never released that because it just sounded like a giant asshole thing to do. And there <laughs> there are, are they're 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 pretty good overall, but I think some of the words that maybe it's like lost in translation or something can be mm. a little bit mm-hmm. um, like for example, one of them like does, good design is long lasting. I prefer to say like timeless because I think what mm. he means there is that the design itself is long lasting, not the product. Cause the product, yeah. Yeah. if you, you could design something that's meant to be, you know, perishable or something, but the design itself is very long lasting, like an aluminum can or something like that. Mm. Um, hmm. Anyway, if I, if I were to pick, uh, you know, one for the V60, definitely I think timeless is, is the top one uh, mm-hmm. in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a intuitive, I think, uh, I also renamed makes the product understandable to makes it intuitive because I'm not mm-hmm. sure what he means by understandable exactly, but mm-hmm. I think that one is also like, it's yeah. pretty hard once you have a paper filter <laughs> and this thing do to do it wrong. <laughs> it kind of explains itself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I do think that that one, uh, makes a product understandable is meant to be intuitive, uh, Tom, what would you? Uh, what was your pick? Yeah, I literally went through the exact same thought process as Stephen did. Of like, like there's something about this object that is um, because it's a tool for coffee, and it is so not. It's like almost a closed system. It's not really reliant on a lot of things. That it just feels like this design that could last for a hundred years, and um, but. 
Part of me, though, I immediately think like, oh, well, they're actually tweaking the design. Like they have versions of it. So it's a little bit like, it's not like they've solved this. I'm sure there's like a different ridge pattern on the inside of that thing that's better than what they have, right? Like it should, it could Mm. be revisioned. But that being said, I do think like good design is long lasting or like, I also think of that rule as like timeless or like this thing just will continue to work. It will continue to be like functional or useful for a long time. Well, that to me is two different rules. There's like the durability of the object and then there's the timelessness of the product or the design. They're kind of slightly different. And I think the the V60 is great at both. Yeah. 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 Same with the understandable. I mean, basically it's just just clarity. It's like clarity of object and like materials. There's just something... um, Because I I would actually push back a little bit that it's like durable. Like Mm -hmm. I bet these things break all the time. And like the one you have, that's glass with the olive. Like I could see that easily like befalling or like sitting in the direct sun for a long time and like the finish. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I'm not convinced that that thing is crazy durable. But it's just as an object, it kind of is symbolically like could live forever. And I think Mm -hmm. that's its essence. Yeah, ceramic... Uh, specifically is like very durable with the caveat that you don't ever drop it. <laughs> it's catastrophically <laughs> not durable. Yeah, yeah. It, it is until it really isn't. Right, exactly. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it's like I used to, uh, you know, I used to have coffee mugs that were my parents that, you know, were like 30 years old. And it's like, well, because I never dropped them. So that's why they, you know, that's why they last that long. So yeah, I had, I had a lot of the same, lots of overlap. I think maybe uh, Honest is a good one mm-hmm. because it's just like, it's you know specifically looking at the ceramic one. It's yes. like the right. Yours is mater- more honest than mine. Yeah, it's the right material for you know cleaning and and the heat and everything. And it's like it's got a handle. It's got a little saucer thing to rest on the lip. It's like the lines are you know pointing down to where the coffee flows. Like there's no. It's not trying to be anything bigger than what it is. Uh, Can I say they they also do make a glass one that is just mono material glass, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and I actually think I like that one for for its honesty and even better because I think you should you might want to try this one out, Dan, because mm. there's something satisfying about the it being clear and see through and um, seeing what's going on with the ridges that you don't get mm-hmm. out of the ceramic one. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of that really. If this, if I ever drop this one, maybe I'll, uh, I'll just move on to the class one. Uh, cool. Well, that uh, that felt like a good show. Uh, Stefan, is there anything you want to plug or uh, a chat about before we say goodbye? Well, I mean, we talked about um, how we how we got started and how we met through Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. I started a couple companies over the past. I guess 13 years now, which sounds like scary to think about (laughs) 14 years. Yeah. Um, and it's very, so I've been, I mean, you, you both have been pretty like dedicated to this one thing for that long. I'm finally starting something new. Um, I've been working on this app called obsidian, which is a writing, uh, app. And it actually shares a lot of the same philosophies, uh, around timelessness. Um, one of the things, that I've been thinking a lot about is how do we like, we're storing so much digital information. All Mm -hmm. of our writing and thinking is like going, um, 
into our computers and phones, how do we how do we pass that on to our like children and grandchildren? How do we make mm-hmm. it so that like digital information can be uh, passed on for for generations? It's a kind of a weird fascination that I've had for a while. Mm. Um, so it's a it's a writing app. It's a I like to think of it as a new category that I call thought processing, and mm. like similar to word processing, which is how do you kind of connect your ideas in a way that allows you to. Um, build up more complex thoughts than you otherwise could. Um, so anyway, check out Obsidian if you're in, in the market for uh, a journaling tool or if you uh, like to write or research. Um, we've got a lot of novelists and filmmakers and different people using it as a way oh, to cool. kind of build up their um, like Bible of characters and places. So wow. kind of works like Wikipedia. You can you can basically create your own little Wikipedia about your, your world and your thoughts. Nice. And and it's extensible, right? Like, isn't there a community of like, yes, like developers that are extending it, right? It's like this ecosystem in a way. Yeah. The, the, I would say the three big principles that we're working off of with, with this uh, app is um, one, the kind of long lasting idea around how do we um, use these file formats that, same with the Lindy effect that I mentioned before. Like, you could read an Obsidian file on a computer from the 60s. So, hopefully, you'll be able to uh, read it on a computer from the 2100s or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, privacy is big. So, it's all kind of uh, local to your device, end to end encrypted. We have no, um, you know, we, ownership or uh, of your data. We can't even see what you're um, writing, which is, I think, really important. And then, mm-hmm. The other big one is what you said, extensibility. So it's like a very API oriented app and there's about like 800 plugins now. Um, So like people are basically, because everyone thinks differently or works on different things, people have created all these um, really interesting plugins on top of Obsidian to people use it for like math or charts or um, maps or doing all kinds of just all kinds of interesting things. It's like, I, it blows me away what people are doing with it. I can't even keep track of all the different plugins that are out there. So um, it, it's very customizable. It, it's, it's not particularly dogmatic about how you want to write. It's really trying to kind of fit around how you think and, and allowing you to create that environment for yourself. Yeah, it, it, I just know that it's going to be a thoughtfully conceived thing because you were like so thoughtful, <laughs> especially about design. And so I really, uh, it just feels, it's cool to see you stepping into this like software mode. And I'm just like really confident you're going to make something that it has these like really awesome core principles, almost like, you know, web 1.0, like just, just like really solid principles. And so I, it's cool to see. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. We finally yeah, made it happen. For, this your, was your fun. Th- bring your thoughtfulness here on this show. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, and it's I'm I'm a I'm a listener, so I I love uh, I guess both of the the regular episodes and this new series has been really fun to listen to. So I'm I'm and actually, you know what? I've been convinced now to explore the Sonos ecosystem after wow. your episode. <laughs> Watch out. I was very skeptical. <laughs> But I got a Sonos amp. That was the thing that was really missing for me to uh-huh. actually go into uh-huh. it because nice. I've got these nice speakers and I couldn't 
couldn't really go full Sonos without making sure that. So that was a big mm. investment, but it was completely yeah. driven by your uh, mm. your podcast. Uh, that well, really that. that really should have been a sponsored podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll come back around. You know. Thoroughly Considered is a joint production between Relay FM and Studio Neat. You can find out more about this episode by going to relay.fm slash tc slash 93.